0: Welcome to the Arlington Baptist Podcast. It's good to have you with us again today. And I'm going to pick up again on the ongoing series uh, that I've been bringing called Understanding the End, a study of end times prophecy. This is going to be uh, part nine of the series. And so it's, uh, I told you in the beginning, it was going to be a little bit long. Uh, I want to do it justice. I don't want to cut it short, but we're going to try to uh, maybe can, uh, can make it a little bit more concise today in the next few episodes, and try to bring it to a close. There's a lot in the Bible on this subject, as I told you from the very first episode, and we're looking at it chronologically, from uh, event to event to event, which I personally believe is the best way to study prophecy. That's what many famous uh, prophecy teachers do. I have many books in, in my library that I've read and, and material I've looked over over the years and, and seen that many of these teachers do it the same way. I think it's the most organized way to present such a big topic. And we are far into the uh, study itself uh, already now looking at, we've looked at the signs of the second coming, which is where we are today, we looked at the next major event, which will really be the first major event that starts the entire, uh, what we call, second coming, which is really a phrase that encompasses many events, actually, the second coming of Christ. Uh, and that's the rapture. The next thing is going to happen is going to be the rapture, the catching up of all believers. Uh, and then it will begin a period known as the tribulation period, the last seven years. We're not exactly sure if it starts immediately after the rapture or soon after, but we've been showing you as much as we can from the text of scripture uh that this period of 7 years will begin not too long after the rapture we believe and then we've been talking to you about uh, how this period is is so important and 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 it's a really the most horrifying terrifying Time in, in world history. We've been going through some details and, and we've covered uh, some things already. I don't have time to review everything each week. I hope you can go back and pick up the previous podcast. But I want to jump back into the events of the tribulation period. And we were answering a question uh, last time that's a really important one. And that is Will people be saved during the tribulation period? And the answer was yes. Uh, though I did give a bit of a disclaimer to tell you that I do not believe people who have heard the gospel had an opportunity to be saved in this period before the rapture will have a chance to be saved after. Uh, and And you can listen to the podcast from last time to get into the details of that, but I want to talk again about how people are going to be saved because we know according to the scripture that God uses his people to be his witnesses, and no one is saved without the witness of someone else. How shall they hear without a preacher Romans ten fourteen says and so that's God's plan. He told us to go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature That's part of the great commission that Jesus gave to his churches and all people that are saved should be in God's churches carrying out his great commission. And so even during the tribulation when people are saved, well, you can say, how are they going to get saved? Um, there is a, I, I want to say a very amazing and very unique uh, declaration of preaching the gospel in Revelation 14. And I thought I'd begin by dealing with that and then going back to some other details about how people are saved. But we we find something that is just totally uh, unbelievable, uh, not in the sense that it won't happen, but it's so amazing. It's just beyond our comprehension how it's going to happen, but the text says it will. And so I'm going to read to you from Revelation 14, we have spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation on the subject of end times prophecy, of course. It's the last book of the Bible. It climaxes everything in Scripture. It's the consummation of all history and time. But notice in verses 6 and 7, something about preaching the gospel to people on earth, but in the most unusual way we'll ever see and we'll ever know. because this is in the midst of a book about the end times prophecies, we know, the end time events, uh, this particular unique preaching by an angel that's flying through the midst of heaven. Uh, Now, I'm not going to even try to Try to insinuate. I know how this happens. I, I don't. I don't know how it happens. I don't think any other Bible teacher is going to be able to tell you exactly. Only the people that are living and see this event happen will be able to 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 uh, describe it. Uh, but all we can say is according to the text. And there's no reason to take it any other way than literally. Uh, be careful of people who try to allegorize and symbolize uh, so much of Scripture, because you can make the Bible believe and say and teach anything you want. Uh, if you do that, we need to stay with a literal interpretation unless it's clearly indicated to be symbolic, which we've went over some of that in some of our hermeneutics or interpretation teaching before. But anyway, uh, back to this everlasting gospel. by the way, I love that phrase. That is that ought to catch our attention right there. This is the everlasting gospel. That means what this angel declares, and however he does it, we'll leave that to God. But whatever, however he does this and what he declares is a truth, the gospel that's never changed. By the way, this puts a, a real damper on people who've believed in dispensational salvation, that salvation was different in different time periods in history. Well, it can't be the everlasting gospel then. If it's everlasting, that means the gospel's been the same. And it's summed up in an amazing way here by this angel Notice how he sums it up. And by the way, he preaches it to everyone on earth, uh, to them that dwell on the earth, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, which is very much like what we have talked about already. And we'll talk about more about all the people that are saved during the tribulation period. So, whenever this angel preaches this, there's going to be a great response to it. And he's going to be aided if you will, by some other people who are going to be preaching uh, the gospel to all the nations as well. But I, I have to include here before we move on this message. Look what the, the gospel, the everlasting gospel includes. You might say, this sounds strange. This doesn't sound like John three sixteen to me, but listen to what it says, fear God and give glory to him. Now, fear God and giving glory to God is a summation of what the gospel really is that's what it's called. If he's declaring the everlasting gospel and this is what he says, then this has to be the gospel. So where do we get the gospel from that? Well, fearing God is the same as is the part of repenting of your sins and and acknowledging the existence of God and who is God? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. There's so much theology and christology in that phrase fear God. Remember when the two thieves, one on either side of Christ were were dying? Uh, as Christ was dying. And the one said to the other, dost thou not fear God? Uh, And we know what that meant. The, The one man turned over to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And we know he was saved that day on the cross. So it's the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, which all ties into salvation. The greatest Uh, knowledge and wisdom any man can achieve or obtain is the knowledge of being saved. And so fearing God is repenting of your sins, seeing your evil deeds before God, and coming in humiliation before Him and to His Son, Jesus Christ. And this phrasing, give glory to Him, is part of that because that's kind of like the, the negative side is the repentance. The positive side is the faith When you give honor to Him, you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You're honoring Him by committing yourself to following Him. So this is all part of the gospel, part of what it means to be saved. And finally, I can say that in describing God, isn't it amazing that the everlasting gospel includes creation? Uh, I tell you people who who don't think creation's important who who don't include creation in their witnessing in their gospel presentation well they're going to be a little bit out to lunch on this one because notice what the angel includes uh, by the way he includes for the hour of his judgment has come you'll never be saved without this proper fear of god's judgment coming the the spirit was sent to judge the world to, re, to uh, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment remember that that's what the Holy Spirit does in bringing us to salvation. But then he says, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Hey, uh, you're not coming to the right Christ if you don't acknowledge him as creator God. And so I think this everlasting gospel is so important. Now, back to this other addition to this I just mentioned. So we're talking about how do people get saved during the tribulation. Last week in our podcast, we mentioned the first two witnesses. And I think. These two witnesses, probably Moses and Elijah that we discussed from chapter 11, they will be very successful. When the angel flies through heaven and preaches this everlasting gospel and how that's communicated to the world, I'm going to leave that to God. We can't be sure. I I have to admit that. But we, it says right there, he does it. I'm going to leave it to God. But how people hear that, and and how many are saved by the preaching of the everlasting gospel from the angel, we'll leave that to God as well. But we do know that these two witnesses are witnessing and can't be touched or harmed till their ministries are over, and I went through all that detail last week, so go back and listen to that if you missed it. But um, I want to now go to a very important group that's mentioned two times in the text and I mention them here because I think they, they themselves come to salvation in Messiah, Jesus Christ, through either the two witnesses in Revelation 11, probably Moses and Elijah, or the angel that we just talked about preaching the everlasting gospel from heaven. I, I don't know which one. It doesn't matter. We know this. Let me read about them. There is a group that is discussed in chapter 7 of Revelation Let me begin talking about them. It says, this group, um, I'll begin talking about them. Well, in the beginning of chapter 7 of Revelation, it says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, uh, holding the four winds of the earth. That does not mean the earth is flat, by the way. Four corners are simply giving you the dimensions of totality. East, west, north, south. We know the earth is a globe. That's not teaching in any way, flat earth. Uh, holding the four winds. It's the totality of the earth, all over the earth. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And, he, and he's going to seal all those who have uh, the special seal on their foreheads, the servants of our God. And the servants, I don't know that the servants are con- con- going to completely uh, uh, number these these this group that's going to be mentioned. I think all those that are saved during the tribulation will get this seal and be called servants of God. That's what a Christian is, one who loves God, serves God. But this particular group is going to now be mentioned in verse 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And he mentions them. So here's an amazing thing. Now, let me just say that throughout the Church Age, the period of time God's been working through His churches, we know that very, very few, in comparison to the the, the number of the whole of Christianity, very few uh, Jewish people have been saved. That's uh, that's a fact. It's a heartbreaking thing. We want to see more Jewish people saved. We should pray and and witness to Jewish people and tell them about their Messiah. But despite the fact that there have been so few Jewish people since the early church, so the early church was made up entirely of Jewish people, and we know all the writers of Scripture, probably even Luke. He might be the only exception, but all the writers of Scripture outside of Luke were definitely Jewish. And so, uh, but now, having looking at, looked at church history where so few Jewish people have been saved, notice this, in this tribulation period, God's going to call and save and, and use... 144,000 special sealed Jewish witnesses. And he names them from the 12 tribes. By the way, uh, it's not even worth really spending any time on this complete nonsense where Jehovah's Witnesses have come up with this 144,000 and usurped this number and just hijacked it and applied it to themselves. That is not how you interpret the Bible. You can't take the Bible and take a, a number or a group or a statement and just uh, apply it to yourself and then run with it and say that's you. Well, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses have done. It uh, shouldn't surprise us. Their doctrine is so false anyway, and it's not biblical. These are Particularly, it says right here, 144,000 uh, Jewish witnesses, it says, from each of the 12 tribes. And then we're going to talk about uh, what happens because of them. Because I think right after he names them in verse 9, we have this statement. After this, I beheld in lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. Remember that same statement brought up by the everlasting gospel? It's in the same period of time stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms were in their hands. The rest of that chapter, if, if you read it, I'm not going to take time to read it right now. I'm trying to avoid a verse-by-verse uh, study of Revelation. I may do that uh, later in a podcast. That would be worth our time. We're, we do it with some of our church people. I've done it with uh, several of our men. We're doing it again with another group of, of men now. But anyway, uh, this group... Uh, is made up of those saved during the tribulation that die or possibly are martyred, but at least we know die and are standing before the throne and are blessed and rewarded and rejoice in their salvation. Now, I want to go back and talk to, talk about this, this group again because they're mentioned again in chapter 14. And I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. This is chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 1. And with him, 144,000. Here they are again, having his father's name written in their foreheads. We saw that earlier. That's how they were sealed. And I heard a voice from heaven. as the voice of many waters. and it's the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of the harpers harping with their harps. Now, this event is a little bit different than chapter 7. In chapter 7, they've died. They're standing before God uh, after their death, just like to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Uh, but now it appears this is once they're back on earth, when Christ will return and set up his kingdom. We're getting a little out of order here with our chronology, I know, and we'll deal with this all in chronological order later, but we have to throw it in. Jesus is going to return, set up his kingdom on earth, and that's where these 144,000 apparently are, because it says they're on Mount Zion with the Lamb, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Now now we go back to heaven. And the elders that never leave the throne and around the throne of God, the four beasts, 24 elders we've seen earlier in the study, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These 144,000 are going to get special recognition from God during the kingdom. There's no doubt about that. It says these are they which were not defiled with women. Now, we can't be exactly sure what that means it, many scholars believe that that says that these are men who will, who will be celibate, who will never marry and will remain virgins. Well, it says Say that, for they are virgins. Next statement. These are they which follow the Lamb with us wherever He goes. So, and they're so dedicated to God. When they get saved during this tribulation, probably close at the beginning, through the preaching of the two witnesses or through the everlasting gospel preached by the angel we read. Either way, they're going to preach uh, and they are going to see many, many people saved through their ministry, and God's going to reward them. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and unto the land. That little phrase, first fruits, strikes me as very important. That means they're like the first fruits, I think, during this seven year tribulation period, and they're going to be honored for not only being the first people converted during that seven year period, but also because they will be the great witnesses, I think of bringing many, many others who were the multitude we read about. And it says in verse 5, And in their mouth was found uh, no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, that just brings us to the point where we realize there are many, many people saved during the tribulation period through the everlasting gospel being preached by the angel, by the two witnesses for at least three and a half years they witness. And in the 144,000, we can't put a time frame for sure on their ministry, but whenever they get saved, we think they will be witnessing throughout that period. And, and possibly, we can't fit, uh, you know, dot every I and cross every T here, but possibly they might live through the whole seven years and then see Christ and stand with Him when He sets up His kingdom. Well, we're going to leave that subject now. And now we have to get into... Uh, the darker side of the tribulation period. And that is, uh, we need to talk about now, and we'll probably have to pick it up next time because it's a rather uh, big subject, a big part of the uh, tribulation period. And that is the reign of this wicked uh, embodiment of Satan called the Antichrist, or as he's called mostly in this book of Revelation, the beast Now, I want to turn to chapter 13 and begin reading there, and we're going to just kind of use chapter 13 to talk about uh, not only the the beast, the Antichrist, but he has a sidekick. He has a partner, a partner in crime, you might call it. And he's only mentioned here uh, in chapter 13 and then one more time later in the book of Revelation. So, we don't have him mentioned anywhere else except except, uh, probably symbolically or at least Uh, in some kind of an obscure way in Daniel. Some people think the false prophet is mentioned there, uh, but there I gave it away. It's the false prophet. So uh, remember how God has a true trinity, the triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, one God revealed in three persons, co-equal. Well, the devil is a counterfeiter. He's a deceiver. And he has his own satanic trinity, it's the dragon, and you're going to see them mentioned, by the way, all three of them together. We'll probably get to that verse. If not today, we'll get to it uh, another time. But you'll see the devil's called the dragon in the book of Revelation, and the beast is the Antichrist, and then the false prophet. That's the the, the evil, satanic trinity. And so in chapter 13, I'm going to be reading now, we, we have already talked about the Antichrist comes to power, during the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, probably by peace and diplomacy. At the middle of the tribulation, I already talked about in a previous episode, he turns his back on the Jews. He shows his true colors. He commits or performs this abomination of desolation Jesus warned about in Matthew 24. And then all hell is unleashed, if you will, by him against the believers and against any Jewish person uh, that he can find. Uh, and I think that the group that he will persecute will be the believing Jews, okay? Uh, that's maybe something we'll deal with a little bit later. But anyway, I want you to see some of the description of him as John the Apostle writes about him in Revelation 13. Notice verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Now, what's, this is symbolic, no doubt. What we mean by the sea? The sea are the waters of the earth. And the land is the peoples of the earth is and the land masses of the earth. He, he's going to rise up out of this. Uh, he's a human being embodied, or indwelt by and in, in, uh, literally uh, he is the incarnate of the devil. And I saw a beast rise up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. Of course, that's symbolic. We know that. He doesn't rise up with this, you know, monstrosity-looking head. These numbers speak of authority. Uh, they speak of association. The ten horns apparently will, uh, are discussed in other places like in Daniel. They seem to be probably ten advisors, ten uh, cabinet members, ten officials that were with him. Uh, and upon his head, horns, ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. So he's he, heading up this, this uh, if you will, uh, confederation. Uh, of evil leaders of the world, but he is the top dog of it all. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power. Now these descriptions of a leopard and a bear and a lion—they're uh, just describing his fierceness, his his uh, his danger, uh, how threatening, how horrifying he is, how powerful he'll be. And the, the dragon, I told you the dragon's the devil, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So for seven years, he will have great authority. There's no doubt about that. But that authority will be limited to what God allows. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. I'm not going to say for sure whether this is literal or symbolic. Some of that is not that important anyway. Some people believe he'll be uh, maybe uh, assassinated with a head wound, maybe shot by a sniper, but he's going to be healed and it's going to be like a miracle thing and all the world's going to rejoice. Look what it says, and they worship the dragon which gave power to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast who was able to make war with him? Um, he's going to have all this power and, and they're going to rejoice that he uh, is risen after this assassination attempt or could could mean something different, but either way, the outcome is the same. He has world domination, and there was given on him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given on him to continue. That word, "continues" a really important word. It means he's already been around. You can't continue if you haven't already begun. So he already, I think, comes to power in the first 42 months. There's half, half of the tribulation period again. We told you about those phrases. 1260 days, 42 months, time, time, and, time, and times, half a time. He opened his mouth and blasphemed against God. You know, today uh, there is some false religions and some uh, false teachers that come right out and deny God and and speak against Christ and and spew out their hatred of God. Uh, But most of them do it in a deceptive kind of uh, hidden way uh, behind people's backs in in, uh, false teaching and undertones and so forth. Not him. The Antichrist will come right out and he'll blaspheme God in his name, and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. <laughs> Those are the ones he couldn't get his grimy hands on. That's the Christians who were saved but have already uh, died either martyrs' death or killed in, in some judgment of his, uh, the Antichrist, against them. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. There it is. Describes what I just said. And to overcome them. And power is given unto him over all kindreds and, and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of, the, of, of life, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here, here's the teaching here. Uh, he, will, he will go after everyone who doesn't have his mark and, the, and everyone who doesn't worship him. And those who don't have his mark, the mark of the beast, we'll see it or, or later in this chapter, they'll be those sealed by God to be true believers. And he'll go after them. Many of them will already die, whose names are not written in the book of life. We'll talk about the book of life uh, which is basically the roll call, the roster of all the saved who have ever lived never will live. And your name has to be in the book. One of the scariest passages in all the Bible is later in Revelation where he said, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, a real place of judgment. Well, then he goes on and says, uh, well, if any man have an ear, let him hear. That's just a little parenthetical. You better pay attention to this. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. He is the pa- here is the patience of the, and, and the faith of the saints. He's just saying to the saints, hey, yeah, anybody saved during this period, you're going to have to go through very terrible times. You're going to have to probably give your life during the tribulation to be a Christian. But now I want to go on because now we come to the passage where he's going to talk about the false prophet who works with the beast. This is a, a, a total, all-out, powerful president, vice president kind of relationship over the world. You know, a king and his, his second in command. And I beheld another beast. He calls him another beast. Now, that's not going to be his regular name, but it shows you he's, he's going to be on the same level. Coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So, we see a little L there, two horns like a lamb. He's going to be like the, the, uh, the Antichrist, like the false Christ. And he too speaks by the power of the dragon, the devil. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. See, the relationship is very close. It's very knit together. It causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. There's back to that healing of that wound. I'm of the opinion, just like the devil pictures the father and the, and the Antichrist pictures Christ, the false prophet really pictures the Holy Spirit. They're the counterfeit of the true trinity. And he's going to lead people. and He's going to move people. And he's going to work to have people worship the beast, the Antichrist. And notice how he does it. This is the false prophet now. It says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. So this false prophet By the way, he'll be called that in a minute. We haven't got to it yet, but we will. I'll show you where he's called that. But right for right now, he's just called another beast. Uh, But he's going to use miracles, false miracles, of course, counterfeit miracles. That's why we always warn, be careful of this charismatic miracle uh, crusade and and, uh, crusade or uh, miracle emphasis, maybe is the best way to put it, today with all these charismatic TV preachers and all that. Uh, a lot of that's a fake and a lie, and it's a corruption. And this, see, we're going to see the Antichrist has power, and the and the beast here, or this another beast, the false prophet, is going to use uh, lies and wonders and miracles and signs like this too to deceive people. And he's going to say to the people of the uh, that dwell on the earth, verse 14, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword did live. Uh, again, seems to indicate that this head wound is literal, just how many times it keeps going into the detail how it, the word "sword" could mean any any weapon it doesn't have to mean he was literally had his head cut off or or whatever he could have been shot whatever. But notice uh, he's going to make this image. This is very interesting. We can only surmise, we can only guess what this is. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. A lot of scholars looking at modern trends and what's capable of what's. Uh, uh, you know, technology has advanced so much. What can people do today? It could be some kind of a robot that, that really seems to come alive. You're going to see that he gives life to the image of the beast. It seems to breathe. It seems to live. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Very much in the in the way of the Old Testament where Nebuchadnezzar set up an image and, and others had done this, that people would worship it, worship only the image of this, false god. Well, the Antichrist is going to have this image made uh, that looks like him. It's going to be made and and, and given life by the false prophet. I'm not sure exactly what it is and how he brings it to life. It's all a counterfeit. It's not true. It's not true life. Devil can't create anything. He's a counterfeiter. Only God's a creator. So it's a counterfeit. But the people are going to worship it. They're going to think it's real. They're going to think it's true. And notice how far he goes with this. Here's the Antichrist, uh, or I'm sorry, the false prophet forcing people to worship the Antichrist. And he causeth, that seems to be the false prophet who has uh, authority from the Antichrist, and he has just as much power, and he's able to make these laws, and he's going to force people to worship this image. And if you don't, uh, you'll be killed, he said. And then he goes even further. Not only will you have to worship the image, but then you'll also have to take the number of the beast Uh, on you in some way. We'll just see what it says. This is very well known. This is a very popular and and, uh, well read passage in Revelation about the mark of the beast 666. Here it is. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding Count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. The old King James gives it the three score, that's six six six. Well, we're we're not sure, and neither is anyone else sure how this mark is going to be found on people. Uh, it does say it would be in your forehead or your right hand. I think that's interesting. It's called a mark, so we don't know if that's a chip under the skin or in the forehead. There's all kinds of speculation. Doesn't doesn't really. Uh, service to spend a lot of time on that. But just to say it's going to happen. This is a literal thing. How it'll be carried out, hey, I don't know. And I'm glad I'm a pre-tribulationist because I don't believe we're going to be here anyway when this actually is enforced on the world. But boy, uh, it's a life and death matter. You can't survive without it, it says. He causeth all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, doesn't matter who you are. And if you don't, you won't be able to buy, sell, or have anything. And that means you won't be able to live. Uh, and... this is just how serious and how threatening and dangerous and horrifying, terrifying this period is. Jesus said there's no period like it, remember? We read back in Matthew 24, 21. No period like the tribulation. And so here we have, during this seven years, you have the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, who will be called that later. Uh, By the way, I probably should have got to that passage because I don't want you to uh, think that I made that up. The, The false prophet is mentioned here. Uh, there it is. Uh, he's mentioned, actually, in the judgment of these two, along with the devil. Uh, in I'll just read the verse, just so you get the, the phrase. In Revelation 19, in verse 20, when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, we'll get to it uh, next time, uh, possibly in our podcast, to describe that final event of the tribulation period. It says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that wrought or worked miracles before him with which he deceived them uh, that had received the mark of the beast and then the worship in his name, these both were cast alive into the lake, into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So uh, that kind of brings together and includes our statements about, here's this relationship between the beast and the false prophet and for this entire seven years they will uh, wreak havoc on the world, uh, especially going after the saved. And I think there'll be a group of, of Jewish people, I might as well bring this up here as we're closing for today anyway, um, that I believe that the living Jewish people that go into the tribulation uh, who have not heard the gospel, remember, I, I, to stay consistent with what I've already discussed, I think of a Jewish person has heard the gospel, has had an opportunity to be saved, and has rejected it, turned away from it. When the rapture happens, they will believe a lie and be damned. That's the Bible. That's what the scriptures teach. But if they have not heard the gospel and and God is going to give them an opportunity, I believe that uh, there will be some of them saved. Now, there's a debate, a very controversial one. Will all the Jews during the tribulation be saved? I'm of the opinion that only a third of the Jews are saved because of a passage in Zechariah, which is a very uh, key prophetical book uh, and kind of... Hesitated to go into this, but I'll go ahead and do it now because it, it is in the scripture here. But in Zechariah uh, chapter, uh, let me make sure I'm going from memory here. Make sure I can find it. Okay, where, does I, where did I see it? There it is, there it is, I'm sorry. Chapter 13 of Zechariah. I'm not going to have time to, to set this all up. And give the context, you study. Go back and read this, and and you can find out if what I'm saying is true or not. This is what I believe. Here's what God says He's going to do. He's talking about uh, separating His people. Uh, He talks very clearly about that. It says, And it came to pass, or it shall come to pass, by the way, verse 8, Zechariah 13 8, that in all the land, that's the land of Israel, he's talking about the Jews, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left, and I will bring the third part to the fire, and refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. I'm giving you just a a short summation of uh, something that took a lot longer. I'm just saying that I believe that passage justifies the belief that I know other scholars have taught, that only a third of the Jews will come to Christ, and be refined, and be protected, and be saved during that period. Uh, And the other two-thirds, unfortunately, will have taken the mark of the beast, or, of course, believe his lie, and be lost. Um, but there are various interpretations of that. I don't want to be totally dogmatic, but that's my belief about those that are saved. Now, next week, Lord willing, we've run a little late, so I've got to bring it to a close, but we'll try to finish the tribulation period, definitely will, by the climactic final event. We'll take a look at how the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials fit into that, and we haven't got to them yet. We'll give a brief summation of those, bring us to the end of the, the tribulation, and how it ends is so spectacular and so... Uh, amazing. It's like the finality uh, of it all. So thank you for being with us. I know I've talked fast, trying to cover a lot of material. I hope you're staying with me. Thank you for listening. Remember, compassion, or I'm sorry, conviction for truth, compassion for people. God bless you.